Letter of Ephesians chapter 6, we are going to listen to the final sermon in the letter of Ephesians. So we started in January, took some time off, and we spent about 30 weeks learning from this letter. That's about one sermon for every five or six verses. Maybe in the future I'll do better, but that's where we're at right now. So um, the 30th or so sermon of Ephesians. If you have not listened to all 30, you can catch up on the podcast um, But in order to set up this final sermon, I'd like to give you a brief overview of all 30 sermons, right? And now you're thinking, man, last week was long. This is going to be way longer. Not, no, I'm going to do it really quick, okay? Because the big idea of all six of these chapters, the big idea of this letter is that Paul writes to this ancient church to encourage those Christians to align their spiritual position, which is in Christ, saved, forgiven, set free, transformed, to align their spiritual position with their everyday actions, right? So the first three chapters just keeps on explaining how amazing salvation is and that it's by God and that it's by grace and that we are once far off, but now we've been brought near because of what Jesus Christ has done over and over and over again. He just keeps telling us how amazing salvation is, essentially how amazing it is to be a Christian. That's what he keeps saying over and over and over again. He tells us all the the access of all the powers we have. The Bible says we have been blessed in every way Jesus Christ has been blessed. And to even be, begin to think through that is quite amazing as a person who has fallen, sinful, rebellious, yet the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us, right? It has transformed us. It has redeemed us. So that's the entire aim of this letter. That's why Paul writes this letter. He wants this church to act in accordance with what they know, with what they believe, with who they are. Ephesians chapter 4, this is really where the, the book takes a turn. Because you got those first three chapters of explaining how amazing salvation is, and it's by God. And then he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Paul is in prison when this letter is written. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel, and his death is coming very soon. Paul writes a few letters from prison. Ephesians is one of them. And what does he tell us? Walk worthy. May your spiritual position and your everyday actions align. May you be worthy of the salvation you have received. Now, there is a sequence of commands. (laughs) Sorry. I just went to scroll my iPad, but it's broke, so I got to use the mouse. This is not a touchscreen computer. Just if I stall out, that's why. There is a sequence of commands given to the church. Walking is pictured here that Paul wants us to grab onto that idea of walking step after step, day after day. And we want to walk according to to our calling, worthy of our calling. So if we are to walk worthy of our calling, our attitudes and actions will align with who we are in Christ. We are to walk in humility rather than pride. These are all chapters four through six. Humility rather than pride. Unity rather than divisiveness. We put off the old self, we put on the new self. We walk in light rather than lust. We walk in wisdom and not foolishness. We are filled with the Spirit and not controlled by alcohol. We are committed to mutual submission, first to the church and then within our homes and then to one another, rather than living selfishly. Now, here is how all of what I just said ties in to the verses we are going to read today. If we are attempting to obey Paul and Jesus in this command, in these ways to walk as a Christian, then we better be certain that the enemy will attack we will be attacked by the enemy. 
And we're going to explain what that's like and how Paul gets us ready for that attack. But we will be attacked. I always tell people, the day you become a Christian, it's like trench warfare. If you're not a Christian, you're hidden safe in the trench. The enemy cannot see you. You're probably belly crawling so low that he can't see you at all, doesn't even know you're there. The minute you say, I want to follow Christ, your head pops up above the trench, and now you're in view. And he's coming for you. And so these last verses get us prepared for the attacks of the enemy. So let me read it to you. Chapter 6, we're going to read verses 10 through 24. Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you, may, uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may also know how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that, you may encourage, that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 here at the very end. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. If we are going to walk in a manner worthy of that which we've been called, the enemy will attack. And what Paul is doing in his very final plea to these people in Ephesus is to prepare them for these attacks. It is a watch out, Know who your enemy is, and here is how to protect yourself. And this is why Paul starts with that encouragement. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The very minute you begin to walk with Christ, our ancient foe, the Bible says, our great enemy, the devil, Satan, not the one with horns, not that guy. Satan is masqueraded as an angel of light. We often get Satan and the devil wrong. Most of the schemes of the devil we actually believe because we think it's true, because he's the angel of light. He's not going to show up and present himself as your absolute enemy. He's going to lure you in, lure you in slowly. The very minute you begin to walk with Christ, our ancient foe, our great enemy, the devil, also known as Satan, will begin to scheme against your life. The schemes of the devil are often subtle, maybe planting a small seed of doubt, wedging, wedging his way in between, Brothers and sisters, wedging his way in between you and the truth of the word. Twisting the truth of the Bible into lies that we tend to believe, which undermine the gospel power. This is his tactic. This is what he does. And Paul tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
our greatest enemy isn't coming with swords and picks and there are not going to be always people standing at the door. That may be an enemy, but that's not the great enemy. Our great enemy is that who is he who rules the cosmic powers over the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil. The church will be attacked by rulers, the authorities, by the cosmic powers who rule over this present dark age. This church, you, we will be attacked by Satan and his legions. It's going to happen. So here's the big idea for today. I believe this is what Paul is getting at. Put on the full armor of God, of God, not for God. So you love Jesus and the gospel, for your love for Jesus and the gospel is not corrupted. I'm pairing the full armor of God with the final verse of this entire letter. I would say this entire, that, that verse, that verse 24, ties everything together. All that he's written is for what? So that our love for Christ would not be corrupted. Grace and peace with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. When Paul speaks of spiritual attacks, he is speaking from experience. He has already experienced attacks within this very city. When he arrived, the attacks began. He was chased out of the synagogues. That's the Jewish place of worship. He was chased out of the synagogues by unbelieving Jews who thought Jesus was a joke. His work was actually copied and mimicked by weird Jewish exorcists. And he was threatened by a man named Demetrius and other silversmiths because people who became Christians stopped purchasing their little silver idols and that put their jobs in jeopardy. Paul is telling the church to put on the full armor of God because these attacks warrant armor. We cannot withstand them alone. Paul knows what is coming. And even though Demetrius was there, and even though the Jewish exorcists were trying to mimic him, and even though people didn't like him in the city of Ephesus, he spent about three years in this city preaching, laboring, to the point where the Bible says all of this region heard about Jesus. That's how busy the guy was. He was going everywhere. And he knows the, these attacks are going to come. He writes in the book of Acts, a separate book, this. This is what he says to the Ephesian elders. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise, men speaking twisted things, to draw away disciples after them. Paul knows how the church will be attacked. He tells them, be ready for this, because this is going to happen. And that helps us understand Satan's main way of attack for the church. Right now, all these ideas are probably dancing in your head of how Satan attacks in the movies that you've seen, the scary movies that you love to watch but then haunt you for a month, those ones. I don't watch those. <laughs> I'm not into that stuff. We, always, we, we already have this idea of the way Satan attacks, but I, we don't see that a whole lot in the Bible. The main way Satan attacks the church and the Christian is to send false teachers to the church so they can lure people away from the biblical gospel. Satan will use what is good, the gift of teaching, and he will twist it into evil and then convince you that what is false is actually true. It is in my opinion that if we were to gather all the churches of this city and attempt to identify where Satan has attacked, we would see that many churches are teaching a false gospel. They may not even know it. But the fruit of the false gospel comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. 
And if we were to look at every single church, we would say, I wonder why they do that. Does it doesn't seem to align with the gospel. And that all started because someone believed a lie. But why? What is the end goal of these attacks? What does Satan have to do? Is he just bored? Well, for one, we know he hates the truth. We know he rebelled against God in the beginning. We know that he wants nothing to do with God or his gospel. And Satan has the same goal for every single attack, for every single church. His goal is to corrupt the love we have for Jesus. That's his number one goal in your life. He wants to corrupt it. He wants to mar it. He wants to stain it. His goal is to lure you away from a life, the life-saving and life-giving word of God and lead you into this desert wasteland of false teaching. This is why Paul ends this letter with those amazing words. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Church, the future elders, let's put it sort of in a personal note here. We're about to commission our first elder team. It's pretty exciting for us. We've never done this before. In January, I'm going to put three men before you, and I'm going to say, we entrust the church with these men. Most of you thought I was in charge. Most of you don't already know I'm not in charge. But <laughs> The churches are supposed to be governed by a plurality of people, a team of people. The future elders of Citygate have been praying since they've been training for 12 months that your love for Jesus and the gospel remain uncorrupted. Now, the prayers may have changed, the words may have changed, but the aim has always been the same for the last year. Is that we here at this church, we love Christ with incorruptible love, a pure love. Now, many of us might go, wait, you don't have to worry about me, man. Like, I'm good. It's great. I'm here every week. Don't you see me? I'm singing really loud. Don't you hear me? I'm playing. I'm teaching. I'm leading. Many of us would say, I would never allow that. I would never allow the love for Jesus to be corrupted. I never say never. Peter, an apostle, said he would never deny Jesus. He did it three times. Judas walked with Jesus for three years and then handed him over to the Roman authorities. Many people followed Jesus when his miracles were flowing and the food was plentiful, but they walked away when he brought out the hard teaching, like give up all you have, love me more than anything, deny yourself and take up your cross. Never say never. We are a fickle and feeble people, and we are easily swayed. This is why we need this armor. This is why we need it. Never is God ever going to allow you or let you say, you know, he's not going to go say, hey, you go fight, and I'll see how far you get, and then I'll come and save you. Throughout the Bible, he's always said what? I will fight for you. I will stand in front of you. You will fight within my power. That's throughout the entire Bible. On a more personal note for our church, we have seen this happen. We have baptized several people here. But the cares of the world has crept up and it has choked out the gospel power in their lives, causing them to walk away. And it doesn't matter how fast or hard we chase after them. They want nothing to do with Christ. Friends, the minute we say never is the minute we rely on our own power. And I do not want that for you. Do not underestimate how frail and susceptible you are to corruption. This is why we're constantly brought before the word of God on Sunday mornings and throughout the week and at our events. 
in the middle of the week at our connect groups. This is why we're constantly brought before the word of God. This is why we ask the spirit of God to make this word come to life within us. This is why we lead with the word of God. This is why we must develop a deeper dependence upon the word of God. Because if we do not, our love for Jesus and his gospel, I will guarantee you, will be corrupted. Now, this may come as a shock to you. And right now, you're probably thinking, well, certainly the Ephesians were warned, right? So they were good. No. The Ephesians failed. Their love was corrupted. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 2. The final revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. And what John does is he surveys seven churches in the region of where he's at. And this is what he says about the Ephesian church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, To the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I will explain that when we go through Ephesians, which is not going to be soon. Don't worry. Because it's confusing. But here's what I want you to know. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. That's a good thing. They've done good. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work Works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That was a false teaching group infiltrating the churches as a historical people group, just twisting the gospel. John calls them out. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Maybe that was a shock to you. And although the Ephesian church did many great things, What is the one thing that Jesus Christ himself says they failed at? They abandoned their first love. They abandoned their gospel. Today, this would look like a church who does much, who accomplishes so many things, who serves entire cities, who may feed an entire African nation for all we know, just on their own budget. Yet, Jesus is not found anywhere among them, which means they're doing it all in their own power under their own pride. Church, we can do many things and we have done many things. But if Jesus is not at the very center, if our love for him is even diluted just a little bit, all of that is for nothing. The Ephesian church failed. Their love was corrupted. Paul knew that every church would face this threat. Every church would be tempted to abandon the love they have for Jesus and then look within the self. And this is why we need the armor of God. We need to be ready for this battle. And I don't want you to fight it alone. God doesn't want you to fight alone. He's already given you what you need in order to withstand the schemes of the devil. So how will Satan attack? How will he attack? The problem the ancient church faced was this. It's a little historical background to understand how this happened in Ephesians. The growing influence of Jewish Christians attacked the church. Here's what I mean. The gospel is preached. Jews are coming to faith. They're ethnically Jewish, but now they're spiritually Christian. But they began to add to the gospel. They began to add to it or subtract from it. 
So there's this growing population of Jewish people coming to faith, but somehow along the way, they started to put additional requirements on those who became Christians. So yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and Jesus was sent by God to save us from our sin, but you also need to do this, or you need to do that. You also need to be circumcised as a Jewish person is circumcised. And you also have to obey this command or that command. And you also have to be baptized by this person or in that way. And you also have to be taught by that person or that pastor over there. Now these may seem like subtle nuances, but let me be very clear. If you add anything, church, if you add anything, any little requirement to the gospel, you will corrupt the entire thing. You screw it all up. Any little thing. If you add any requirement to salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Bible alone, to the glory of God alone, then you lose the entire thing. All of it's gone. In short, this is the problem in the New Testament church. You can survey the New Testament, and this is always the problem. Galatians is an entire book written to people who are teaching False doctrine in the church. False teaching in the church. Paul writes to the Galatians and doesn't care. He just goes after them and says, you're wrong. You've screwed it up. You better turn around. Throughout the New Testament, we see people add to or take away from the gospel. And this is what Paul tells the Ephesian church. These false teachers are coming to your town. They're not there yet. He already says in Acts that they will come. Wolves will come. They won't spare the people of the church. They will lead them astray. Oh, by the way, they may come from within you. That is a warning to understand, isn't it? They may come from within you. And so he says, they're coming. They're on their way. See, I think the letter of Ephesians is a preemptive strike on the attack of the church. I think Paul writes to this church to prepare them for what's coming to their town. They're coming to your church. They're coming to your town. They may be in your church right now. And given the chance, they are going to spread a false message and corrupt your love for Jesus Christ. Paul told him, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come. And they will not spare anyone. So he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand the schemes of the devil. False teachers are the number one attack on the church. The number one attack on the church usually comes from within the church. I know most of us don't think it that way, but that's exactly what happens. False teachers attack the church. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's not the climate change advocates. It's not the climate deniers. It's not those who like the music or those who don't like the music. It's not those who think the kids' church should be set up this way or set up in that way. It's not those who don't want to walk up to communion and those who want to sit for communion. The number one attack on every church is a false teacher who is given the freedom to spread a false message. That's the number one attack. Once a church slips into this promotion of false teaching, very rarely do they course correct and make it back. We have seen this over time in church history, over and over again. Whole denominations have slipped into false teaching and never made it back. That's not necessarily why we're not denominational. What did I say? Non-denominational, but kind of that's part of it. Very rarely do we make it back if we were to go that way. This is why this is such a great warning for us today. We're a young church. We're just over three years old. We don't always get it. We screw up a lot of things. But one thing can be certain. If our love for Christ is not corruptible, we will be good.
Amen? That's the center. We'll figure everything else out as we go. We will apologize a lot. We will come together and forgive one another a lot because we're fallen, we're imperfect, but let's keep our love for Christ incorruptible. All right? So that's basically the setup to the armor. That's why he gives the church the armor. These people are coming. The false message will be given to you. Now, let's look at the armor. Stand, oh, I did it again. Stand therefore. It's like your little kid's like, why doesn't this thing scroll? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the devil, or the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation as well, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the good news, that God has given to us what we need to withstand the schemes of the devil. This church can have a bright future until Jesus returns. If it's 50 years, 100 years, 300 years, this church can stay faithful for that long if we wear this armor. This is what we need. We don't need ours to stand up straighter. We don't, I'm not going to ask you to, to go fight on your own power. I'm going to always say, put on the armor. So let's just look at it. Just go through it little by little, all right? Number one, fasten the belt of truth. Just as every good athlete does what it takes to prepare to win the game, that's what good athletes do. They're dedicated, they're conditioned, they're ready to go. They love to win. Winning is fun. And so every athlete takes, takes those, those means to get ready for the game. In the very same way, every Christian is called to prepare for the battle so they can survive the attack. The belt of truth is this sense of total commitment to Jesus and his word. Again, some of you are like, man, that's a, that's a big undertaking. Total commitment? Right, but it's not by your power, is it? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. In all times, pray in the Spirit. Ask God to supply for your needs. Never walk a step in this life by your own power. Model your life after his word. Read it and do what it says. Build your marriage upon what the Bible says marriage is. Raise your children the way the Bible says to raise your children. Approach your work, spend your money, use your talents, enjoy your time, speak, think, act in accordance with what the word of God says. Total commitment to the Christian faith. This may seem overly simplistic because here I am, just a pastor in front of you telling you to read your Bible more. <laughs> Haven't heard that one, buddy, you know? <laughs> this may seem oversimplistic, but the truth of the word has the power to transform your life. I do not no amazing leader in this room cannot. And if you're hoping for me to do that, I'm going to fail you. I do not have the power to transform your life, and no one else here does. They can love you as you do it. They can walk with you as you are transformed. They can learn with you and grow with you and cry with you and smile with you and all those things. That's what the amazing thing about the church. But no one has the power to transform your life. When someone comes to me and says, hey, man, I'm just kind of struggling. That's like the overall term. That's like the, the trash bag term for you never know what's going to happen next, right? I'm struggling, and then something gets said. My advice, depending on the situation, is pretty much always the same. Now, that doesn't mean you don't want to have coffee with John just because you know what I'm going to tell you, okay? Because I want to get to know you and love you and support you. But my advice is always the same right up front. Number one, pick a book of the Bible and read it every day for a month. Pick something and read it every day for a month. Well, some of those 
Books are really long. All right, read it three times a week, whatever. If you pick a New Testament letter, you can get through it in about 17 minutes. You can read Ephesians in 17 minutes, and I'm a slow reader. If you pick a gospel, it's going to take you two and a half hours. Buckle up. My advice is always the same when people say I'm struggling with my faith. I say pick a book of the Bible and read it. Maybe not like Exodus, but you know what I mean. <laughs> pick a book of the Bible and read it every day for the month. Pray that it will be clear to you and that it will transform your life. Then, in 30 days, come back to me and tell me what God has taught you. We underestimate the power of the written word. It's not just words on a page. It's alive and active. That's what the Bible says. The word is alive and active. Here's my second one. Or pick a structured study that will take you through the Bible, one that will help you develop the habit of reading the truth. Either one will do. This is always my recommendation because the belt of truth holds our lives together. That's what it holds together. I love that you trust me with your cares and concerns. That's why I desire to serve Christ as an under-shepherd, as a pastor of his people. I so love it. This is the best job I've ever had. But I have no secret knowledge to get you to the next level. I don't possess it. Again, sign up for coffee. I'll buy you lunch. But I have no secret knowledge. I can speak from my experience, and I can point you to the life-transforming word of God. Number two, so that's the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. This means to live every day in obedience to God, similar to the belt of truth. Now, in one sense, we're saved because we have this righteousness already. It's called the great exchange. When you put your faith in Christ, God takes all of your sin and he gives you all of who Jesus is. That's how you're able to actually stand before God. That's how you're actually able to stand up and say, I'm saved. Well, why are you saved? Well, you're more than just forgiven of your sin. You've been given the righteousness of Jesus. Remember, he lived a sinless life. He was perfect. That's you now, before the creator of the universe. That's how we're able to go before God, not just simply forgiven, but made righteous in his sight. He takes all of your dirt, all of the future dirt, and all of the future, future dirt, and he's already given you the righteousness of Christ by faith through grace. You didn't even earn it. That's just what he does for you. So in one sense, we already have this righteousness. But in another sense, that righteousness which saves you doesn't necessarily shield you from the attack of the enemy. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't you can't just rely on that alone and say, well, I'm good, I've been saved. So then, the breastplate of righteousness, this armor that covers our, our chest and our whatever, all shoulders and all that, is really the result of obedience. And obedience is what further protects you from temptation. Friends, I know that we all struggle with besetting sins. That's what the Bible calls them. They're the reoccurring ones that you hate, but you secretly love. So they come out like four times a week, and they feel really good, but then the next day you feel like crap. It's the sin you can't shake. You know what I'm talking about. All of you have already pegged that one in your head. Those are tough. There's no judgment here. Here's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's to say yes to a holy life just a few times in a row, a few days at a time, a few minutes at a time. Pick the next holy option. That's it. Pick the next thing that Jesus did. Say the next word that you think Jesus would respond with. Not the bracelet, what would Jesus do? Those are played out. I'm saying follow Christ and pick the next holy 
option because when you do, you will begin to build a habit of picking Christ. And those temptations that you struggled with will minimize and they will minimize and they will minimize. And some of you have already experienced this in life. I would say all of you have been walking with Jesus have experienced this. And we know this. Why? Because we, we are not who we once were. Amen? We're not who we once were. Even if it's just a little bit, we're not who we once were. Now, we, we're not who we want to be. What do we always say? By God's grace, we are who we are. Amen? But you are not who you once were. The breastplate of righteousness is this result of obedience to Christ-like faith, to picking the next holy option, to turning that thing off or getting away from those people or not choosing that direction. Or right when you're about to just satisfy that desire, just going the other way, just once, and watch that build upon itself. Say yes to the holy love a few times in a row. And it is hard, and it is the struggle. This is all of the Christian life. Number three, the shoes of gospel peace. This is part of our armor. Christian, you are at total peace with God Almighty. Total peace. The same God who upholds the cosmos with his word. The same guy that said, let there be light, and then there was light. The same guy that said, God that said, let the waters shoot forth from the ground and let the rains drop all that water and I'm going to flood everything. You are at peace with that very same almighty, powerful creator God. You're at peace. He loves you. He's got nothing against you. You're welcomed into his presence. You are at total peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been saved by faith, we have peace with God. This is where your new life begins. You can stand firm. You can hold your ground. You can stand and allow God to fight for you just as he has done all throughout history. You can stand in those shoes of peace because you stand before him in peace. And you're ready to go preach that peace. You're his child. You've been at peace with your heavenly father. He does not look down at you and see who you once were. He doesn't even remember it. The sins that still condemn you from 15 years ago when you drive down that street or go by that house or are reminded of anything, God has already forgotten. It's gone. The Bible says he has separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. Keep going in either direction and there's your sin and there you are way in the other direction in front of God in peace. That is amazing truth. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not guilty of anything wrong ever. Blessed in every way, the perfect person, Jesus Christ, has been blessed. That will change the way you live if you just dwell on that truth. Next, hold up the shield of faith. Now this could be an entire sermon in itself, and you know I could do it, all right? I could go on forever about these things. I, I was really struggling to only put a paragraph under each Last night, I had 3,800 words on this paper, and I only usually preach 2,600, so I cut them out. They're so good, okay? Hold up the shield of faith. This is Hebrews 11.6. It's another book in your Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's an amazing book. You want to read a book every day for a month? Read the book of Hebrews. It'll blow your mind. Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who? God. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Not only does it take faith to become a Christian, because we have to believe what we cannot see. And we have to hope for what we already have been told is true. But it takes to even faith to even please God. It takes trust and belief. All of the Christian life is lived by faith. That's what we're doing day after day, minute after minute. We are the people who have faith in God. We are the people who, who believe God is who he says he is. And he accomplished what he said he has accomplished. And Jesus is his savior. We are his people. We have been bought back from the depths of hell. And we have been blessed by God. You want to be blessed by God? Put your faith in him. If you're here and you know you're not a Christian, and that's an easy one to say, because if you're not a Christian, you don't go, I wonder if I am. You just know you're not, and that's cool. This is the best place you can be. I'd rather have you nowhere else but right here. You want to be blessed by God, blessed by God? Put your faith in him. Believe that he exists. Trust in him. Abandon everything you've ever hoped for in your entire life. And put your trust in the God of the Bible. And your world is going to just go nuts. It may not be what you thought it was. You may not have all the things you've always wanted. But that stuff really doesn't matter when you put your faith in God. Because you're at peace with him. And that it's all by faith. I'm not even asking you to earn it. I'm not even asking you to look a certain way. Can you imagine the, new, the Christians of the New Testament? Man, they were way more wicked than we were. We have some sort of morals just because of our culture and our framework. The entrance level to Christianity isn't do a bunch of stuff and then we'll let you in. The entrance level, the entrance gate is faith. And then you walk with Christ. That's the gospel. Number five, put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet is like, like hope and assurance. We hope for and we are also assured that this battle with Satan and this world and the life that is dragging you down and the things that drive you nuts and the things that make you weep and the, the tears that you shed, the helmet of salvation is the hope and the assurance that one day this will all come to an end. This will all come to an end. Every single person on the planet asks themselves this question, why is the world the way it is? We always ask ourselves that question. And there is no other truth that can logically answer that question except for the truth of the gospel. The world is the way it is because of me. What is the number one thing wrong with our culture? It's me. What's the number one problem wrong with our city? It's me. Why would I keep saying that? Because I'm a sinner. The thing that's wrong with our world is you, and it's me. But God entered into that, and he has saved us from that. And he is slowly transforming this world to reflect his kingdom. And one day, he will return, and he will claim his people. And he will gather us from every tribe and tongue and nation from around this amazing planet. And our battle with the ancient foe and your besetting sins will be done. That is the helmet of salvation. The salvation you have been given should stir up this anticipation of your internal inheritance, 
a resurrected life. We believe in the resurrection. We believe we were created for another world. We believe that one day Christ will return and resurrect us. And we will live with him in peace forever. The helmet of salvation is what we need. Number six, raise the sword of the spirit. And thanks be to God, this is the final one. Raise the sword of the spirit. Raise the word of God as your weapon for the battle. These words are living and active. These words can defeat anything. This message can destroy anything. When Jesus walked this earth, he was in front of Pontius Pilate. It was that Roman governor who pretty much had the authority to say, yes, you're going to be crucified, or no, you're not. See, the Jews arrested him, and they didn't like him, but they had to bring him before a Roman because they couldn't really do this without their approval. And Jesus tells this guy, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. They would have protected me. If my kingdom looked like every other kingdom in this planet, would be a group of people taking out our swords, killing others so we could get what we want. That's what he's saying. But my kingdom is not of this world. Church, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And the reason why the meek will inherit the earth is because our weapon is not even a blade. That's why. It's a message. And yes, we fight, but we fight the evil by proclaiming the truth. We fight the darkness by exposing it to the light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 10, this is Paul again to the Corinthian church. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to our flesh. So though we're humans, right, we're here, we're physical beings, we don't make our war based on that. It's not a physical fight. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine, that means godly, divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take, this is such a great verse, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's our weapon. The meek will inherit the earth because the church will never raise a sword. It will raise the word of God. And the power of the word of God will defeat every attack against, uh, attack against us. It will defeat every stronghold in the sinner's life. It will destroy every dark presence. Because that's what it has the power to do. We have the armor of protection. So church, we need to put it on daily. So that we would withstand the flaming darts, the extinguishing you know, we would extinguish the arrows. We would not allow false teaching to creep in here and to tell us we don't need any of this. We must be on guard. and We must value the truth. I'm going to end with a, a hymn. Some of you know what that is. Many of you don't. It's an old way of writing music. It's really amazing, okay? I'm just going to read it to you. It's John Newton. And if you know anything about this guy, he was wicked. He became a Christian. He wrote a bunch of songs. Though many foes, oh, and some of the words are going to be sounding old, but you'll get it, all right? Though many foes beset you round, and feeble is your arm. Some of you are like, what? Though many foes beset you round, and feeble is your arm, your life is hid with Christ in God beyond the realm of harm. Weak as you are, you shall not fade. 
or fainting, you shall not die. Jesus, the strength of every saint, will aid you from on high. Though unperceived by a mortal sense, faith sees him always near. A guide, a glory, a defense. What have you to fear? As surely as he overcame and triumphed one for you, so surely you that love his name shall in him triumph too. Amen? Church, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible.